Hello, loyal podcast listeners. This is Heather, and I wanted to quickly let everybody know that these general conference reviews are being cross-posted on Mormon Expression and the Mormon Expositor in order to cross-advertise. So if you are a Mormon Expression loyalist and you have not listened to Mormon Expositor yet, please come check us out at mormonexpositor.com. And if you're checking this out on Mormon Expositor and for some reason you've never heard of Mormon Expression before, you should run on over to that website, mormonexpression.com, and check out the wonderful podcasts that have been posted there over the last few years. Thank you for listening, and I hope you guys enjoy these conference reviews. again, this is Heather, and welcome to the review of the Sunday morning session of General Conference for October 2012. This will be posted on both Mormon Expression and Mormon Expositor, so whichever venue you're coming to listen to us from, welcome. Today I have with me Clay, who has posted some podcasts for Mormon Expression and who has joined us for Mormon Expositor and is doing some good work for us there. Hello, Clay. Hi, how are you? Doing well. And then we also have Mike. Hello, Mike. Hello, good to be with you. So this is your first appearance on Mormon Expositor. It is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And you've already uh, preached repentance to us, haven't you? <laughs> Just on... Those first three episodes were nasty. <laughs> you think our con- you thought our content was rather anti-Mormon? Yeah, it was. It was harsh. But did you have you listened to both of Brant's book interviews? Uh, I listened. <sighs> I listened to one of them uh, so far. It was really, that was a good interview. I liked it. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive into um, the talks. The first one was given by Iring, and um, he talked about not adding things to our lives that separate us from God, right? Is that the message you guys took? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he kind of. To sum it up, he was saying, if you feel distant from God, it's your problem, not God's problem, so fix it. He's not hiding from you, you're hiding from him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I took it that we can uh, put things in our lives that make it difficult for us to communicate with God. I didn't think it was a terrible talk. The only thing I had a problem with was his story about working at Stanford and having this professional desire to become a tenured faculty member and, and contribute to academia at Stanford. And then the church calling and asking him to teach at Rick's. And he basically was saying that if he had, if he had not gone to Rick's, and maybe this is just my apostate read on it, I don't know. If he had not gone to Rick's, that he would have been putting a barrier between himself and his ability to perceive what God wanted him to do. I have a problem with that message because it's basically telling people what that, what they want for their life can be sinful. Even if it's not committing a sin, if it's just you have a, you, you have a plan that you want to live out for your life, which is the only life you get. But if it doesn't line up with what God wants, you're sinning by pursuing what you want in your life. And I think that's a little troubling. 
I, I like the answer he got though from that. He he got a prayer and God said, "Well, you can stay at Rick's a little while longer." I I don't think God cares that much. I think God has something for him to do, but what he does in the meantime is really up to his own discretion. So if he wants to stay at Rick's, stay at Rick's. Well, but I, I I I think God, yeah, he wants you to reach a point, but how you get there, a lot of it has to do with your own. Well that, well, that was when he had the opportunity to go work in the public or the private sector. But when he was telling the story about moving from Stanford to Rick's, he was basically saying that it would have been wrong for him to have stayed at Rick. Or at oh, yeah, that was the, that, that he was the first answer. Yes. I was thinking of the second one. The first yeah. one, though, yeah, was that he needed to go to Rick's. Yeah, I find that troublesome. And I know that from a believer's standpoint, they think, well, I will I will receive blessings and greater happiness if I do what God wants me to do rather than what I have planned for my life. But I think that that isn't always what happens. And God also gets an out there. If if you do what you think God told you to do and you, and you leave this, you, you make these choices that you think he wants you to make and things don't work out, well, then you're just being, tri- this is just a trial of your faith. Like there's never a, recognition that maybe you do have the right and the ability to determine what is best for your life. And I know that's not something that every believer faces. I I think it's just there are some people who make big changes in their lives based on those things and they don't always work out and at, being an atheist I find that troubling. I don't I don't like that message. So It was a pleasant talk to listen to. It was fine. Um but I do I feel like this whole message that is repeated in in various ways within Mormonism, um, that if you're not feeling close to God, if you're not receiving answers to your prayers, if you're not um, having direct communication with the divine, it's your fault, not God's fault. Um, and I find that message disturbing because there's a lot of people who are actively seeking um, and actively trying to reach God, and they're feeling they're feeling like they're detached from them, and they start to think, oh, well, what am I doing terrible? What can I change about my life? And it becomes this obsessive compulsive, you know, I'm not good enough type of feeling. Um, maybe I'm overreaching, but I, I feel like that's a damaging message. Same message um, that I got in a yelling match with my freshman seminary teacher about was he said, you know, if you're not receiving blessings, it's your problem, not God's problem. God doesn't withhold blessings. You withhold blessings from yourselves. And I said, that's, you know, that's BS, you know, and I, I brought up blacks in the priesthood. Uh, God obviously withheld a blessing from them. Um, I think it's, I think it's a cop out message. You know, I think that um, it's easy to blame, blame the person instead of say, hey, maybe God's just not talking to people. I, I know Joseph Smith testified there were times when, when God would just leave him to himself. He wouldn't answer his prayers. And it was in that, at that time just to see if what he would do with what he'd already been given. So that mm-hmm. does occur in people's lives that sometimes God will say, let's see what you do with what I've already given you and leave you on your own for a little while. Let you stretch and grow on your own. He'll do that. But also what I took away from Brother Irene's talk was how he got answers to prayers, that he would struggle with it. And he described it as a still small voice in his mind, not, you know, some angel didn't come down to the apostle and talk to him. He, he got revelation the same way we're expected to. I, I took that away from it. Yeah, overall, I didn't think it was horrible. I understand what Clay is saying. And I think that if somebody is struggling with a certain aspect of the church, whether it be they're not, they don't feel like they're receiving answers to their prayers or whatever, that it, it, it's not a helpful, it's not a helpful message to them. But compared to other talks that we've heard, I don't, I think this is pretty. Oh, yeah. It's, it's fairly benign. benign. I mean, 
So should we move on to Packer's talk? He basically spoke of Christ and repentance, and he is looking pretty frail. Yeah, he was. I felt bad for him. I mean, he was obviously struggling, and and I felt like that's a perfect example of why we should have or why, you know, the LDS church should have an emeritus status for, for the 12. You know, I mean, he could barely get through his talk, yeah. and uh, I felt kind of bad. But, but do you think somebody like Packer would take emeritus status? Oh, maybe not, but um, <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. But I think it should be an option because, I mean, it's a struggle. You know, yeah. these guys are really old. Yep. Um, what I took away from his talk was uh, a part he did towards the end that the saints are expected to be a light uh, to those who are hurting from the effects of sin. And uh, we're supposed to live in a way that we can show that the atonement is real and available to the people that are in pain. Yeah. That's what I wrote down. I wrote repent. I mean, I, this, I didn't think it was a bad talk. I don't, I didn't have any problems with the message he was giving. I can understand what it, how it, how it works for a believer. I mean, obviously I don't believe it, but I didn't think it was a horrible talk. And it was, yeah, I agree with Mike. It was basically just, there's a way to, if you, if you're feeling downtrodden, burdened by sin or your lack of connection to God, then there's a way to to rectify that. And people should reach out, help those around them kind of in the same way. Yeah, his example was, was it a lighthouse and to uh, watch for the lights and to avoid the rocks? And mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of a John Groberg remix, you know, Other Side <laughs> of Heaven in the Islands, yeah. uh, Tropical Storm. It was it was fine. It was He quoted a lot of hymns and different verses from hymns and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it was good. So Linda Burton's talk, she basically spoke about serving others and the different facets of serving others in that we should make sure we're basically attuned to helping those around us and that we should be serving in the way that needs to be served. I mean, to fulfill the needs of those who need served rather than just in the way we want to serve. Also a pretty benign talk. And service is one of the things that I think um, is beneficial about religion, helping those in your community and, and reaching out. So I thought it was good. Yeah, absolutely. She threw a golden rule in there and and talked about uh you know treating other people with kindness. Yeah, um, it was now, nice. We're gonna get a poster out of this. It's gonna be observe then serve. You can already <laughs> see the the frillies around the poster and the <laughs> and the fancy writing. Well, there we're gonna hear a, about it for the next year. There was a, one like that on Saturday, and I think it was from the counselor and the young women's presidency about. I know it, I live it, I love it. So yeah, I think we're going to get a few posters. I guess on a tangent in her talk, uh, one thing I learned from her talk, or not not learned but was reinforced, is that a lot of people experience anxiety in the temple. Yeah, you're right. Like, there was multiple stories. Like I had just, it was like my second time and I was freaking out and somebody helped me out, you know, and it was, it was just, it was interesting. You know? Yeah, I, I, did, I did notice that. Uh, what I took away from it was, uh, we are the Lord's hands, and to love one another and uh, be obedient to our covenants and help other people. So That's did, what I wrote down. So did you hate the talk then, Mike? It wasn't my favorite, but it wasn't horrible. Yeah. You <laughs> I preferred just, the, that? The, the repeated observe then serve thing, was we just kind of giggled at that, but it, right. it had some good a good message. You prefer the be a lion for the Lord, kick ass, rather than love, <laughs> love those around you type talk. I, I was excited that 
we're going to get to Holland's talk in a minute, but uh, oh, he's always the best. <laughs> oh, well, he may always be the loudest. I don't know if he's the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, before him, there was Walter Gonzalez, and he's a member of the 70s uh, from South America somewhere. Did you guys pick up where from? Uruguay. Uh, Uruguay? Yeah, it was excellent. Great talk. Yeah, Whoa, he... Mike. <laughs> this was this was the talk. Well, other than Holland's, I don't know. This was the talk that got my hackles up, and we can talk about it in more detail. But yeah, um, I guess I I don't want to cut you off, Heather. Keep oh going. well, I was just gonna say what I said to you guys before we started recording, and that's I wish they let foreign speakers speak in their native tongue and subtitle it. Given that talks have to be approved first and put into teleprompters and stuff, it wouldn't be that hard, and I think it would be. I don't know, kind of beautiful and and um, appreciate or showing appreciation for the fact that this is a global church rather than just a little outpost in Utah like it was a century ago. But that would that would be interesting. Have Ukdor uh, speaking in German and yeah, and some, Gonzalez and Uruguayan, whatever they speak, probably Spanish. Spanish. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but, so let me let me uh, go ahead. Can I go on a tangent here? Well, not a tangent, just a diatribe. Sure, in that go for it. Walter Gonzalez pretty much said, um, the best way of learning truth is with the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, we cannot learn truth through information. It's all through the heart. Um, and that the greatest knowledge comes through the heart and not through the mind. Um, and, man, I mean, this this hit on the basic paradigm of epistemology, like how we know things mm-hmm. and uh it drove me crazy and i want to ask i i want to ask a, this is a sincere question mike and i'm not just calling you out but um i want to set up a scenario in our minds and i want you to answer this question okay. let's say mike that you are on the jury for a murder trial and all the evidence shows that the person is either innocent or that he may be innocent but you feel in your heart strongly that this person killed whoever they're they're accused of killing. Would you vote on that jury to convict that person or would you let them go based on your heartfelt emotion? No, of course you'd go off the evidence that's presented. But this is what – but why? I mean this but, is what okay, this, this apostle is telling you to do, Mike, is to ignore your head and to go with your heart. Well, no, he started off the talk that we need to learn the gospel. And then he followed that advice to learn the gospel with learn how the Spirit operates. Because the, the way you learn the gospel, well, I guess you got to look to how the Spirit operates. The Spirit isn't just feelings. The Spirit, when it's the true Holy Ghost, educates our minds as well as inspires our hearts. And it's you have to look for those two things together to recognize. Because you can feel good going to a, a rock concert. Mm-hmm. But, but if we want to have heavenly knowledge, the Holy Ghost operates through our minds and our hearts together. And that's that's really what it, the message is here, even though it might have come across, obviously it did to you, that we just use our feelings and that's it. But so if you look at the said, early part of the talk, he said, he's talking we about navigate the, the celestial web with our hearts. You know, he doesn't talk about minds. And so let's, let's modify that situation, Mike. Let's say that all the evidence points that this person's either in, um, innocent or possibly innocent, and you have a spiritual manifestation that he's guilty. Would you convict him? <sighs> I, I don't know. I, you have to go off the evidence and, 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 and 
Well, let me let me ask you let me ask you this, Mike. What would be the difference between just feeling in your heart that he is guilty and having a spiritual manifestation that he's guilty? What would what would happen in that in that moment that's different? What what crosses the what crosses the threshold into spiritual experience and not just emotion? Uh, in a murder trial. Well, in any situation, I mean, it would yeah, be I mean, applicable. That was a hypothetical. You yeah. can apply that to many, many, many life life situations. Well, the the way he worked it in his talk was that you learn the gospel and you feel the gospel because you're not supposed to try to teach the the gospel without a manifestation of the spirit. There's a couple of scriptures that talk about you have to have the spirit with you in order to teach. So the instruction is to learn the gospel, to learn how the Holy Ghost teaches the gospel, and then to go out and experience it by applying it such as home teaching or missionary work or whatever, or teaching in a class, you you feel it, you learn it, and then uh, you so experience it, is, it. So it is just feeling then? No, it's both. You're supposed to learn it and feel it both. You, you learn the gospel, and then you act on it, and then you feel the Holy Ghost and experience it. That's really what his talk was about. So I- Information alone is not enough. It's not enough to just learn the gospel and have a good argument for the gospel. You learn the gospel and you experience it through the power of the Holy Ghost, and then you know it's true. Well, here's my problem with what he said. He basically, I wrote in my notes, scary internet exclamation point. He basically, <laughs> and I and it happened in the Saturday morning session that I hosted as well. There was a talk about how information on the internet's going to hurt you. And, yeah, Priesthood you, Session had and, it too. And you can't tell if it's true or not. And the thing that he said in here was that you need to rely on the Holy Ghost. And so with that, with that to a non-believer such as myself, what that means is if you're reading something online about the church and it starts to make you feel a little sick inside, that means it's not true. And that is... <laughs> problematic. So yeah, I, I can whole, see where you're going with that. The whole talk is about don't don't look for f- truth or facts don't matter. It's all about how you feel. And he also talked about um inequity and forgetting God becoming a barrier to the Holy Ghost and it's yet another thing that will play into somebody's mind. I, I I'm I'm doing something that's wrong by looking at quote anti-Mormon material and I'm forgetting God and and my religion by looking at this stuff. It was I I think I agree with Clay. It's a it's a huge problem with epistemology and it also is setting up or try or trying to set up believers to give themselves an out when when having to confront uncomfortable truths about the church. Well, I, I, I took away from it that uh, information isn't alone isn't enough, that heavenly knowledge is important as well, and to act on the gospel and see how the Holy Ghost operates, and that's how you grow in the gospel, is, is become acquainted with the Spirit and teach others how to become acquainted with the Spirit. Because he, he ended up with a strengthen your children with your personal testimonies, and to live the gospel and experience it, and then you'll come to know Christ by living and experiencing how the gospel operates in the real world. So, Mike, in your, in your personal life, on your own, um, is there some type of criteria that you use uh, that you have found fairly reliable to differentiate between the spirit and personal emotion? Well, is it like the- I, I, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not trying to like set up a trap or anything. This is a question that I've asked um, various church leaders in my youth that I've always been confused about, even prior to leaving the church. Um, 
and I never really got a satisfactory answer. And I'm curious to find someone who can say, you know, this is what the spirit feels like, and this is what your own emotions feel like. Well, isn't the isn't the church line that it has to line up with the with the plan and gospel of the church? Do you know what I mean? Like, if it's something that lies outside of the scope of what the church would say is the right answer, then it's not the Holy mm-hmm. Ghost. I, I find when I'm studying and preparing a lesson that the Holy Ghost will help make connections like you might not have seen it in that light before. And it's something that, you know, like I said, it'll inspire your mind, but you'll also get that warm feeling of, oh, you know, like it's that way. Mm. And it's always going to be something that's going to stretch you and, and cause you to try a little harder or inspire you. That, that's my, been my experience with the Holy Ghost is it's, it, he makes those connections and stretches you. Mm. Does that make sense? I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. That, that's how I've, I've been a slacker for a year or so, but I, I remember when I, I was feeling the Holy Ghost often and frequently that it was, uh, it was like that. Dude, you got to get rid of your pavilion. You got to <laughs> knock that off. <laughs> a little less World of Warcraft and more uh, studying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, Jeffrey Holland's talk. Um, he spoke of the early apostles and their interactions with Jesus. And he took quite a bit of um, artistic liberty in describing those interactions. Um, what did you guys think of his talk? It was amazing. He, he he always knocks out of the park, and this is just another example of how he's able to do that. I, I'll have to say that I did enjoy when he started to like freestyle Bible stories. <laughs> um, just start making things up of what may have happened or what could have happened and started, you know, pounding the proverbial pulpit and things like that. But other than that, man, um, I don't know. I mean, towards the end, t- towards the end of the talk, he threw down a pretty big diss on, on people that are self-proclaimed cafeteria or buffet Mormons. Yeah. I wrote um, that down. And, that uh, I, I know that people who are trying to make it within the church, uh, make it work for them. Um, it's that it's going to be a problematic talk for them and they're not going to like it, but. Well, he painted it as, as the, the 11 after Christ died went fishing. And then, uh, when the, when the savior appears to him on the shore, he, he pulls Peter aside and says, do you love me? And he hammered that home. Then he said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And, and we always put ourselves in Peter's place. Like what would we have done? You know, cause we, would we have denied Christ the way Peter did? And would we have, understood what this point the Savior was making. And he said, if you love me, there's work to do. And he talked about how the apostles went on to shape history without a church building to meet in and without swords. They just went out and taught the gospel uh, and lived the, lived the Savior's example. I've got and like a, I, you said, he hammered cafeteria Mormons that uh, you're going to have a law of long nights and empty nets, uh, comparing it to f- the fishing nets if you just pick and choose the gospel. If you love the Lord live it. And then he hammered home the uh, former missionaries that at one time had been in the baptismal font with their arms to the square saying, having been commissioned of Jesus Christ, the commission doesn't go away when you take your badge off your suit. And he, and he also went on to compare it to people that go and get married in the temple where you covenant to love God and keep yourself clean from the sins of this generation. Are you going to live your covenants and are you going to be an example of the Savior? Well, and I'm going to throw out another just kind of a rhetorical question. What type of person is so concerned with being loved? You know, he was talking over and over again about how God demands loyalty and love. 
And just as kind of a personal story, um, I was chatting with my my little sister who has also left the church, and she's tried to kind of make church or spirituality work, and she's gone to different church services. And one day she just tells me, you know what I find really, really creepy? The very act of worship. You know, we are going to this place and telling, you know, this this God up there how amazing and how awesome he is and how um, just over-the-top great that person is. It's kind of a, a bizarre thing. I mean, can you imagine um, visiting your son or your child on their on their deathbed or their hypothetical judgment day. And the only question you're worried about asking them is, did you love me during your life? Like, it seems a little bit twisted, doesn't it? Well, or am we, I we just take, out there? No, we, we, we have an exclusive look or view on, on our father in heaven by being Mormons is that we bring him down personal, that he's our brother and our father. And we, we focus a lot on that person, that personal relationship with him. But when you stand back and look and realize that, you know, God made the world and holds all these things in place by his power, uh, he's actually pretty frightening when you look at him from that perspective. And our goal is to be like him in that we have that ability to care for and provide for children, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Can we, we're looking to inherit that ability to hold planets in orbit and form worlds and organize intelligences and create spirits and create life. I mean, that that's an awesome thing to strive for. And so, yeah, we worship him but, because but Mike, it, that's are, really is who he is. So in your day-to-day -day personal relationships, I don't know if you have kids or, or not, Mike, do you have kids? <laughs> yeah, three. Okay. So, so is your primary concern for your kids that they love you and they do exactly what you say and that they tell you that they love you is every chance they get. No, like, is I, that I, the primary I, thing that you're worried about? Like, would I, you I try to make sure out that... if they kind of had like a powwow and like started, you know, singing songs about how much, how great you are and just how you're beyond <laughs> reproach? Uh, no, because I don't expect them to think I'm perfect, but I, it'd be hard to worship God if we didn't think he was perfect. So you think that when you are um, exalted, that's the right word, right? That at that point you will expect the your pro, those that you create to sit around and, 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 and proclaim your perfection? No, I, I know some families do this. I don't know that uh, my wife and I focus on this so much, but you want your family name associated with something good, that when people think of your family, they associate it with, yeah, they're members of the church and they live the gospel. So you try to get your kids to live up to that family name. And so I think what God wants us to do is live up to that name of Christ and to worship him as the father and honor that family name. Does, does that make sense? But you scriptures try to do that talk about angels, hosts of angels singing praises to the eternal God for eternity. I mean, that's the Book of Mormon view of what the afterlife is, right? That you're going to join yeah, the, 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 the numberless forces of angels. Yeah, singing praises to God. I don't know that he. <laughs> that does sound odd, but yeah, uh, I mean, I, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I just in my mind, it just seems um, based on the relationships that I have in my life, it seems like a bizarre thing, but. I think when you're in a heavenly perspective, you see the number of people that have been exalted and have become equal to the Father, because that's his ultimate goal, was to make us all equal with him. That, uh, that That's an awesome thing to see a person do, is, is exalt so many numberless people that you can't even count them. 
And so, that, yeah, that it ends up with uh, people worshiping and then singing praises. So you think that it's basically like, okay, so you know how um, we believe that uh, our frame of reference for time is completely different than God's frame of reference for time? Yeah. So you're basically, so you basically think to try to, to try to make a comparison that while we look at this worship of God and see it as like a little weird, it's in God's frame of reference, it's basically like his kids sitting around and, and telling those good stories about how great of a dad their dad was. And it's not this eternal get down on your knees and worship because yeah, eventually that, you're going to be like him. That would be very odd. <laughs> But uh, yeah, like you said, it's it's family stories. It's look at these amazing things our families accomplished. And we have that that strange juxtaposition in the in the Mormon church. Is yeah, he's our brother and father, but we also I don't know that we reference enough how amazing God is and the things he's accomplished and he's done it all for us. Well, I tell you what, I um I had the opportunity to go to a dinner for an evangelical fundraiser. And the speaker there was Todd Friel. And I don't know if you guys know who Todd Friel is, but he's a um, part of like the Ray Comfort crew. He and, and Kirk Cameron and Todd Friel are kind oh, of yeah. like a trio. Okay. The evangelicals are quite big on... Our God is an awesome God. And yeah, and powerful and, and strong and angry and and he's going to burn people for eternity well um i I went with amy and a couple of other people um who listened to mormon expression and i thought we were just going to go listen to the guy speak but we ended up sitting at his the tickets were to sit at his table and he ended up talking to amy and witnessing to her and she asked him why a loving god would make such imperfect beings that he's going to cast them down into hell for eternity she was wearing a black dress and she had on white three white pearl necklaces he said, your pearl necklace is very beautiful and, and it's, it's just lustrous and just stands out wonderfully against your black dress. If you'd worn a white dress, your pearls would not have stood out nearly as, as well. And God makes fallible human beings because against that backdrop, he is that much more glorious. And from across the table, I, it was involuntary. I made a disgust, like I made a face like, Ugh. like that's <laughs> awful. I think the Mormon conception of God is a little less horrific, but I agree with Clay that the idea that a perfect being would need to be worshipped is a little weird and creepy. It's interesting because in Abraham's account, when he describes how spirits are formed, he, he organizes the intelligences and some are great and some aren't great. And it's just the way they are. And it's not like God created them that way. He's just taking the ones he gets and Whoever can cling to his teachings and rise up and be exalted as he is, he does what he can. But it's kind of we're on, we're on our own. Well, I I agree with you that that Mormonism has a much better view on God and that it doesn't make God this horrible monster that created these people to be imperfect and then burns them in eternity for being imperfect. And it, so it removes that nastiness away from there. But it's still well, for eternity. It's it's you reach your potential or you don't, and his helping you is dependent on how you act. So do we have anything more to say about, we did make a, co- we did comment though on the fact that um, Holland was basically calling out the pe- the cafeteria Mormons and those who are trying to stay in Mormonism for the, for the cultural and value teaching aspects of it. I sort of think that that is the wrong approach. Um, I, th- I think that those people are already struggling enough and to have a, um, 
a, a, a harsh me- harsh message is not what they need. They need more of a, a loving message. I think um, the response that if you were if you were it's I'm 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 basically thinking that a honey instead of vinegar approach would work better would work better. You know, tell these people that it's good that they see value in the church and we hope they keep participating. And maybe if they try, maybe if they try and, and really give it some time, they will see the benefit of the rest of it. Does that make sense? I think that would be more productive. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's, I mean, I know that that's a, a feeling that a lot of people that try to stay in the church for various reasons, they, they say it's, you know, in myself, I tried to do that for a long time and it was really painful because I was being constantly told by the church that I wasn't allowed to do that yeah. and that that wasn't okay. And that's the message that Holland gives. Um, so I think that they do, you know, isolate and abandon a lot of people that that may want to to participate on some level. I, I took it that if you made covenants and you've received your witness of the Spirit, then act on it. So then the last talk that was given was by Monson, and his whole talk was basically just listen to the promptings of the Holy Ghost so that you can receive blessings and give blessings to other people. Yeah. And then he told a lot of to the rescue stories, you know, just like yeah. how I rescued everybody. And even in the off chance where he told a story about somebody rescuing him in a snowstorm or in a cold night on the road, he then flipped it around and said, and then I rescued this guy by inspiring him to serve a mission. Um, so there were a lot of pats on the back. Yeah. The part where he'd been sustained at his hospital. Uh, October 4th, 1963 is when he was sustained. That's a long time. Yeah, he's been at it for a while. And I, I, didn't, I didn't really think it was a horrible talk. It did make me think, though, it's just, it's one of those, it's yet another talk that's going to make parents of apostates feel bad because they pray fervently as well. That's one, yeah. the one problem I see. To step back and focus on the blessings of your life and to be happy and not focus on the negative and take inventory of the blessings that you have in your life. Men are that they might have joy, and if you're miserable and unhappy, then you need to change your perspective. That's actually a message that I don't mind. Um, when I was hosting the Saturday session, Chris was talking about how he could take some of these talks and rewrite them from a secular point of view and have them still be a good message about how you should live your life. That's something I think that's very helpful. It basically gives you perspective on your own life, right? If you, if you start, instead of being, instead of focusing on the things in your life that make you unhappy, if you step back and realize all of the things that you have in your life, that are good, especially if you compare your life to the lives of those around the world, you'll realize that there are things that are that you, that you should be happy about. So I definitely think that's a beneficial message to helping people be happy in their lives. Yeah, and I wrote down that he, he said to look for opportunities to serve and to become a happy memory in other people's lives. Yeah, not a bad. Yeah, message. I think those are both good messages. Well, that wraps up the review for this session of conference. You guys have any other last comments you wanted to throw in there about this session? Uh, I just thought it's been an excellent conference all around. All the all the sessions have been very good. Yeah, I think I think this Sunday morning session was a lot tamer from a perspective of having reviewed uh, Saturday afternoon, yeah. which was anything but tame. And so it was nice to see some just better vanilla messages, you know, in their talks. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, next up will be the Sunday afternoon session, and we hope you will join us for that segment. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Heather. All right. Welcome back for the final installment of the uh, October 2012 conference recap. 
joint podcast with Mormon Expression and Mormon Expositor. I'll be the host on this. This is Greg. I have with me the lovely and talented Letty, who doesn't uh, doesn't get to come on these very often. That sounds like you're stealing that from someone else. Yes, that is true. It <laughs> does sound like I'm stealing it from someone else. Then I have also, uh, we've got the, uh, the vivacious and intelligent Amanda and Matthew Knockleby. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for listeners, uh, uh, both both are uh, Mormon expositor semi-regulars now. Amanda was just on the uh, Finding Community podcast with me last week, or uh, will be on the Finding Podcast community with me next week after you hear this. And then we also have with us Meredith. Hello. Hi. I didn't know this was couples edition. Hey, well, we, we actually like your couple. But, um, we, we like you too. Yeah. <laughs> you can be the two wheel. It's cool. It's cool. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Right. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to make single people feel any more left out than they have to. So let's just awkwardly. And, and she's not that. single. So that. Well, I know, but she's representing. I'm, yeah, I'll be the single representative. If you can represent Perfect. lesbians at the same time, get a little more. I do. I have short hair. It's cool. It'll, that'll work. And I will point out, you're Canadian, which Representing actually the Canadians doesn't that make you like a a two on the Kinsey scale to begin? Like, yeah, it does. It's actually in the water. Yeah, <laughs> we love Canadians. Oh gosh. All right. So. Um, as opposed to my Saturday afternoon blood pressure, my Sunday afternoon blood pressure is strangely tranquil. Does everybody else feel that way? Tranquil so bad, yeah. Most, yeah. I, I just feel like, you know, we got gypped and, you know, got the boring session of conference. Like, oh. The, the, the boring one where they, like, talked about Jesus and stuff. <laughs> Like, oh, we got to get some 70s to talk. I'll oh, just talk about something for 10 minutes, guys. Yeah. Don't worry. We we still had Bednar. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah that's true. But even he, even, he didn't. Even he was pretty tempered. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so let's start with Hales, though. So Elder Hales kicked it off. Christian values, Christian service. We're Christians. We believe in Christ. We believe in grace. There, there. Uh, this was a really, it was really for the most part a nice talk. I have a minor doctrinal quibble with him, but anybody else have anything notable there? I just noticed this may be the same quibble that you have that right out of the gate, he defined a Christian in such a way that it included only Mormons. Ooh, I did not notice that, but that's an interesting. So he says early on that a Christian is somebody who takes upon the name of Christ by being baptized according to correct priesthood authority. And so as he goes through and tries to say, hey, guys, of course, we're Christians. Why do you exclude us? He manages to exclude everybody who's not a Mormon. (laughs) Top notch. That is a very good point. I guess he knows his audience. Mormons have been claiming that nobody else is Christian for uh, almost 200 years now. So, <laughs> um, I, The one thing I noticed, and this is, like I said, I don't know if this is a minor doctrinal quibble. It was actually, it was really striking to me. He quotes from uh, Ether 12 about um, the Lord gives us weaknesses so that we may become humble, yada, yada, yada. And... Um, and those weaknesses are given to us in order to teach us humility. And these, he posits, he posited those as like sins, things that we are tempted with and things like that. And I was forced to, although the funny thing was the reason why I noticed it is because he left out 
he uh, paraphrased the scripture and left out the part about the Lord giving us the weaknesses. So he talks about men have weaknesses that they may become humble and then we can get grace. But the scripture actually says the Lord gives us those weaknesses. And I was forced to consider um, just two years ago from that very pulpit when um, Elder Packer, informed, President Packer, informed us that God would never give us those kinds of what kind of heavenly father? Why would a loving God do that? And um, these are these are the problems you run into when you want to cross analyze talks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there's no there's no real good reconciliation for for those two sentiments. Anything else on Hale's talk? I, I just noticed in general, um, this talk and then, and then a lot of the talks in conference have had a lot of New Testament references, like stories of the apostles and, 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 and New Testament stories of Christ were told over and over and over again. And then we get this, guys, we're Christians talk. And I'm thinking, is this a, is this a nod to all the non-Mormons who totally. are going to be watching or going to hear about it, et cetera, because of Mitt Romney, blah, 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 blah. Totally. I, you know, I, I, that came across very strongly in that talk, in this talk. Do non-Mormons actually watch conference? <laughs> I am. <laughs> yes, but against, it's like against your will only as a show of support for your only, friends. Only for you, Greg. Uh, no, um, <laughs> I would imagine, whether it's delusional or not, they are going to assume that in the Mormon moment, they'll get a larger than average proportion of non-Mormon viewers mm-hmm. and will tailor their talks accordingly. Maybe so. Although, I don't know. The talks yesterday were, of course, maybe the non-Mormons only tune in on Sunday because the Saturday talks oh my gosh. were as offensive <laughs> as anything non-Mormons could ever hear. So, I don't know. Which presupposes that they realize that what they're saying is yeah. offensive to non-members, <laughs> which I think is a rather uh, generous assumption. I, 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 I've often heard that, you know, the, the good stuff is on Saturday because the more faithful people will be watching on Saturday. And now I realize they, they say all the crazy things on Saturday. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's amazing. <laughs> well, and having been among the formerly faithful ilk that watched it on Saturday, uh, yeah. I don't know. I had coworkers this weekend that were, and I said something about watching conference so I could do a podcast and they just, and they're all totally active, although, you know, somewhat liberal and I think healthy Mormons. And they just look at me like I'm crazy. And they're like, just do something fun with your family, Greg. I'm like, <laughs> well, I get to do that every other Sunday. And I'm down from 10 hours of conference to four. And again, he kind of cocks his head and looks at me and he says, you used to watch 10 hours of conference <laughs> every time, buddy, every time. All right. Anyway. All right. Let's, let's, uh, that, I think your point is well taken, Matt. That does presuppose that they have any self sight. My aunt yesterday on Saturday posted on her Facebook wall. I love the hell out of her, but posted on her Facebook wall. So radiantly joyous. If anybody wants to know about the church, they can enjoy it in the, you know, in the comfort of their own home. And I was like, this is not, the day that you want people tuning in. But anyway, all right, Elder Scott, who wants to give us a recap on Elder Scott? I wrote a lot of Zs at one point. I got bored, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, but this was the talking, basically do your family history because you're going to be protected if you don't. That, and that it's way. more fun than video games. Yay, it'll cure you of your need for gaming, apparently. <laughs> that, that was a funny little story. Yes. Up. Adolescent up boys across the country turn out. <laughs> it sort of goes in line with the 
rhetoric that we've been getting a lot that sort of uh, young single adult men are this sort of lost and drifting generation and they're not getting married and they're all just playing video games and sort of in a state of arrested development and they all need to sort of get off their asses and, and, and get into gear. So apparently indexing uh, is the way <laughs> to uh, get into gear. That's true. I actually read, I want to say it was on Slate uh, six-ish months ago, maybe it was, no, it was the Wall Street Journal, read an article in the Wall Street Journal about the men, boys that are never growing up and playing video games and everything. So, I mean, Elder Scott's right in line with the times there. Mm -hmm. yeah. I did note um, that the touching story about his wife, may she rest in peace, uh. who, um, when her last child moved out and the bedroom was empty, she uh, dedicated her life to um, nothing but family history work forever for uh, family history research. And I that did cause me to contemplate the uniquely Mormon concept of shutting yourself into your house, staring at a computer screen or being in a library all day and considering that to be service for the good of mankind. Right. It's yeah. A weird insular uh, thing. Same thing with temples. It's this very like something that we value inside, but it has no value to anyone outside of the church. And Absolutely none. Like, it's like a symbol for that insularity. As millions and millions of children continued to suffer and die of starvation, she patiently picked up their temple names to make sure that they could get their ordinances done. So, yeah. Um, boy, so even if, even though it was a, as an uplifting temple se or uplifting conference session for the most part, we can still find reasons to be bitter. <laughs> That's why we're doing this, right? So we well, yeah, I, I, I like to imagine that when there are good things to talk about, we'll give them credit. And again, I think Elder Hale's talk for the most part was really solid. Like if we could have more talks like that. All right. Into the long stream of seventies. Holy moly. We have like. Uh, four of them, yeah. So Russell Osgathorpe, the second best oh. name of conference. Yeah. Can anyone give also me details on what this new learning resources program he's talking about is? Because I hadn't heard about it, and he didn't really describe it in much detail, other than there are new resources. Yeah, it was it was really vague. He, he mentioned it a couple of times, and I thought that maybe his talk was going to kind of be about that, but then it wasn't at all. <laughs> right. A little disjointed. Presumably, if you would go to Elders Quorum once in a while, Matt, you would get the inside or, scoop. Or maybe it's That's on Elders Probably LDS true. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, or it's in, it's going to be in the Ensign one of these days. It was like the pre-release of some new version of software, but then you find out that it hasn't been released yet. Um, Beta. It was kind of boring, <laughs> right? Yeah. This one this one bothered Corey a lot because it just to there was one part where the sister in Costa Rica where she reads preach my gospel every day and yes. uh, reading scriptures every day. And it was just like reiterating, this is how you're supposed to get strong. This is how you're supposed to maintain your testimony. And there was no, it was like, why, why do they keep just stressing the same things when they're obviously not working and they just keep talking about the same process. And it's, anyway, it was, just yeah, it, was it, it was a very like checklist talk. Do you yeah. Want do all these things, and he said, he said it towards the end, you know, you will overcome doubt. You will never, never fall away if you do all these things. Yeah. So if you do, so, so if you do fall away, it's your own fault, basically. Right. Well, one of those that hasn't changed. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. He talks about um, his, his relative, his brother, I, I forget exactly the relation, um, who uh, 
had been away from the church for 22 years and he, you know. No, 50 years. He was away for 50 yeah, years. There was another one. Though. But then he had his home teacher write him for 22 years. Oh, my apologies. My, my, my. <laughs> That's right. Wrong. Um, That's how we know his prayers were answered is that after 22 freaking years. <laughs> right. And it, I think he did say it was his brother-in-law. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, this idea that, oh, if only I'd had these resources when I was younger, I wouldn't have fallen away. I, oh, my eyes could so roll odd. back far into the back of my head. <laughs> yeah, that was hard to stomach. Yeah, super, super not great. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was kind of Russell Osgothorpe May Bednar. Um, in- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they changed his name specifically for the teen boys again and interested in video games. They're like, this is a video gamey sounding last name. Osgothorpe. <laughs> Um, there was I unfortunately I did have an interesting another doctrinal quibble and it was a doctrinal quibble in just an example so he talks about the the young boy who broke another kid's nose in his soccer match like punched him or something I I mean he probably headed the ball into his face or something I mean who knows but um, so he broke another kid's nose and he learned about forgiveness by going to the kid's house and asking him forgiveness but then, amazingly, this is just such a mystery, he didn't feel like he had really done enough. So he went and talked to God about it, and then he felt better. And I thought, this is really indicative. It's not really important to do actual things. It's not important to like say to the kid, and so I'm going to hang out with you, or I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to do some sort of restitution. It's just important to go talk. It's just important to go, go make sure that you've convinced yourself that God has forgiven you. You don't actually have to you don't actually have to do anything to feel better about the awful things that you've done. I don't know how awful the breaking of the nose incident was. It could have been, it could have been just some, you know, normal play thing. Did anybody else get that? Or do you get that sense? Oh, like in general? Yeah, I guess so. It just struck out to, it just stuck out to me. Just That story didn't bother me too much. If he had, you know, felt like he needed to go to his ecclesiastical leader to get forgiven, I would have probably, that probably would have irked me a little bit more. But, you know, he's done maybe what he can with this guy, and then he feels like he needs to make right, make right with God. Given that these are believers talking, I don't find that too objectionable. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. <laughs> okay. On to Marcus Nash. With the family hike that told you right up front what that talk was going to be about oh hike with the hike with the railing i was really excited i was like "Ooh, incans south america native americans are is this going to be another book of mormon talk i was really excited uh well were you disappointed then i I was disappointed like hey we're going to talk about how they're they met the ancestors of the lamanites or something (laughs) This talk did win the prize in my mind for the most incredible, terrible analogy. Oh my gosh, the airplane! Yes, yes. I just threw. Corey, that. That's what that Corey left the room at that point. He's like, "So we shouldn't care about the other wing? Like, we really shouldn't care about that wing? It's actually a bad wing that we're trying to get away from." I'm confused. When that wing gives you trouble, just ignore it. Exactly. I thought it was really funny that he says, "All right, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm." fighting off a cold here. Um, he says, we need to have these two wings. We have the faith wing and the reason wing. And let me, let me argue for that. My argument is actually logically not valid at all because it's just an argument to an analogy. Right. So, well, I guess <laughs> I'm not good at the other wing. I guess, 
I guess I've ignored that wing too long. <laughs> but that was the funny thing. It was like you need both of these, but when one of them is terror, when one of them gives you problems, just rely on the one. And, yeah, and then he says, only... but specifically, don't tear off the wing mid-flight. I was like, it, it was so bad. What? How does <laughs> the most work, mangled man? analogy? Yeah. Just remember that God knows more than you do. That's what I. Yeah, that's that, what I wrote down. That was. Yeah. And well, that in particular, your God's leader. God's flying the plane, Greg. Yeah, God's sorry. flying the plane. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote. I wrote about this talk. You're doing it wrong. That's that's what I got out of this talk. The yeah. plane continues to be on. Like in general, you're doing it wrong. But then there was also the whole story about Anne Rowley, the pioneer woman. Uh huh. Um, biscuits. Which, biscuits. Yeah, the biscuits, which they never said what the food was. It was biscuits and water, and it was then filled with food. And Corey and I were just like, well, they were probably really soggy biscuits that had they were filled. increased in mass. <laughs> they spread out. Oh, yeah. no. I, However, this was, as far as I'm aware, the only widow story of the conference. The only what? Widow story. Oh. Unless Monson shoehorned one in there somewhere in the session uh, that I missed. Yeah, I don't know. So we've, we've, we've hit an important uh, benchmark. For and a pioneer story at the same time. Like two, two birds with one stone. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Story, Along yeah. with a bad analogy. So it, that's good, with your, good for your conference bingo chart right there. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I have one more point on this one, if no one else has anything. Um, which is, there's a lot of discussion about doubt. And, you know, there's, there's sort of a demonization of doubt, as you would expect. Um, but he says something like, when we doubt, um, we stop listening to or stop seeking after the spirit. And that made me really angry because I think about my own deconversion. When I started dealing with doubt, instead of like deciding that I'm not interested in the spirit anymore, it was exactly the opposite. I'm, like I'm sort of clawing after the spirit uh, in exactly. any way I can. And of course, then I was, I was unable to get it. And that's you know, ultimately why I ended up uh, leaving the church. But I thought, this guy has no idea how doubt actually functions in most of us. <laughs> yeah. and by extension therefore all mormons don't understand how it works either because that's what they've been taught so that's why i got text messages after every talk did you watch this talk it was great it was this will help you no who's sending you these text messages my mom (laughs) tell her we love her all right uh elder daniel johnson Oh, where's he from? Because he has a very normal name, but he seems yeah. like he had an accent. We're voting that is he, he French is French Canadian. We're voting that he is <laughs> the uh, out of the loins of polygamous people down in the Colonia de Juarez. Okay. Yeah. Ah, okay. This is pronunciation. There was not screwing around. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was very interested in that. So. Another sort of milk toast talk. Yeah. Any well, I mean, anything interesting? Um, speaking maybe a little bit more generally, you know, so this talk was on discipleship, and he hit all the normal notes. Um, it seemed to me that you know, if we're looking at sort of what the trajectory of the church is, or is is sort of the Uchtdorf camp going to win, or the Packer Bednar ta- pack going to win? Uh, if the talks coming out of the 70s are any indication, the next generation of, of apostles is going to be more like Bednar than they are like Uchtdorf. Oh, yeah. yeah. All these talks were just obey, do everything right. Yeah. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't know. Once, once they get to be top dogs, maybe they'll loosen up a little bit. Oh, yeah, because uh, going up That's... in the hierarchy always uh, makes people loosen up. Um, I did, I did, I did note, um, 
there was in the story, the somewhat touching story of the people who lost their crops and they had land and they helped another guy out. There was the interesting, um, always fascinating, why on earth would they do that? Why would people help somebody else out? I can't oh, understand that in the least yeah. bit. It must have been because they were mm-hmm. disciples of Christ. Can't at all <laughs> yeah. have been because in normal they circumstances. Non-robots. Right. That help people each help other. each other. Yeah. That, that, that unfortunately, that kind of attitude always underscores a certain problem in a moral disposition of like, if it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would totally be raping all the people I could find and stealing shit yeah. every day. Um, <laughs> that's yep. not something you want to admit in mixed company. <laughs> in any company. Right. <laughs> so it's always kind of funny that, that, that thing. Anything else on this? No. no. Well, just that when you were talking about his grandkids and, um, it was poignant to me that he was, was talking about what his eight-year-old shared, and it was weird. <laughs> Not weird. It was just like, oh, that's just, that's how we teach our kids. It's just that's scripted. Yeah, it was the right script. Yeah. But I do but, want to. So let's 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 give him some credit though, because this was yet another mm-hmm. talk that referenced being Christian and following Jesus, mm-hmm. and it was very Jesus-centered. And if you like that sort of thing, I, I was going to say, is there? <laughs> A lot of people complain about that and find that good. I, I'm not sure that I find any intrinsic value in uh, referencing Jesus all the time, but that's okay. Because you are a yeah. hell-bound atheist. Uh, True. <laughs> and that was the other irony, ironic thing about one of my mom's text messages. They're all about Jesus. You'll love it. Really, Mom? <laughs> anyway, that's beside the point. I'm going to still give <laughs> Mormons credit for talking about Jesus more... More than rules, sure, totally. That's a win. Or when, yeah. well, they usually talk about Jesus and rules together. That's yeah. true. Anyway. Okay, Don Clark. <coughs> oh, the sacrament talk. Sacrament. Um, so one thing I noticed right off the bat, you know, he's talking about how when we prepare for the sacrament and something else, I don't know, our lives can be transformed when we understand it. Yeah. And then he immediately goes into an example that he had when he was a deacon and was passing the sacrament. So only half of the church can have an experience like that. Ouch. Like, mm, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, dude. Yeah, that's, I, fe- I felt that way. I noticed that mm-hmm. immediately as well. <sighs> but it was an int- I did like the fact that it, the sincerity in that story struck oh, yeah. me. I, I enjoyed that. And, um, but I did notice how he stressed at some point taking the sacrament worthily did all these things. That was the so last, it, that was the fifth principle. Right. Um, what, what I liked about that is I was preparing myself for him to hammer on the worthily part and he really didn't. So right. the word, yeah. I mean, the, the worthy word is, is a bad word. I mean, I think we would all probably admit. And so the fact that he kind of, you know, he kind of threw it in there, but he didn't really hammer on it. I, Yeah, I was pretty good with that. Well, but it's interesting, though, because the third one was the sacrifice that the sacrament purifies you of your sins. Yeah. But then you can only take it if you're worthy. Yeah. So that seems a little circular to me. As if that's not the norm. (laughs) (laughs) 
Circular logic, people. We need we need Mike Tannehill on here to call us all the repentance. I, I'm actually tempted to give a reconciliation, uh, but I don't want to come across as too apologetic, especially on no, this No, please. You know, it would be difficult for you to do that. But, but I, I always understood it as, um, you know, so if you, you take it as renewing a baptismal covenant, you repent of your sins, then you're baptized. So you repent of your sins, and then in taking the sacrament, those sins that you've repented of, you are purified of. And if you've repented, you're worthy. That makes um, sense. Yeah. yeah. It works. It works. That didn't come off as too apologetic. You're fine. Great. Wonderful. <laughs> Take another sip of whiskey. All right. <laughs> oh, but we have to we have to mention the great line in that talk. When he's taught when he's talking about the experience of giving the the sacrament, he says that the brother took he took the bread with great thought. So Matt and I just busted up laughing. Oh, this bread. I'm just gonna look <laughs> at it and think about it. It was a little it melodramatic. Was, it, was, it was just very melodramatic. Yeah. I mean, we we found it very funny. It's like a picture you would check out of the library to teach a yeah. lesson on the sacrament. Is that the mental yeah, image totally. that came to you? Do yeah. ponder sacramental bread. <laughs> Oil on canvas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, can I say one more thing about this? And then, sure. Let's put so the one thing that was he, he yeah. talks about uh, receiving uh, inspiration during the sacrament. And he says some things that honestly could apply to anything. Prepare yourself, you know, think about your problems. And then as you're in this experience, you know, you will uh, perhaps uh, do your meditations, will we'll, we'll find answers. And of course, I, I think that's hardly unique to the sacrament. Um, I think there's... Yeah, that's you know, thinking. Shower or whatever, like you always just sort of keep your problems in the back of your head and you sort mm -hmm. of process them. And so I was initially, you know, inclined to uh, carp on that a lot. But on, then I thought, you know, this is probably a pretty good... Um, expression of Mormons doing their spirituality in a healthy way. You know, they're trying to use their religion as a mechanism for um, right. solving day-to-day -day problems. And this is pretty functional as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I like that. And it's done with others around, which is kind of a beautiful thing as opposed to, you know, alone in your room. So yeah. that's kind of nice if you're sitting there as a group. That could be a good thing. But yeah, it's really just thinking and pondering and sitting quietly. We could all use more of that just in general. Yeah. It's easier to do when you don't have three-year-olds pulling on you. But anyway. Yes. Yeah. I that's true. There was no mention of the fact that it's more difficult when there's young children around. Yeah. You it's a lot easier to do it up on the stand when you don't have little kids with you. You guys yeah. keep on um, expecting him to be thinking about the other half of the church. <laughs> Oh, right. Right. Right, right, right. Damn us. Damn us. So moving on. Oh, sorry. That's on. what all the women speakers are for. Yeah. Of which there were none in the two sessions that I actually watched. I was a little. Oh, yeah. Missed. I don't know. Anyway. All right. <sighs> David Bednar. He's looking melty. He's looking what? Melty. Melty like his face is melting. Kind of. He's, He's a little bit shiny. shiny. Yeah, he's a little and shiny. He has no eyebrows and his eyes he he kinda he just maybe it's just that I don't like him very much, but he was looking very villainish. He could maybe can stand to have a Mary Kay consultation. Like a little bit. <laughs> yeah. He is starting to jowl out a little bit. That's 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 the melting. Yeah. yeah. So I mean so maybe sort of heading in the pollen direction. Yeah. 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 Bednar, what's the, my number one phrase from Bednar was any honest seeker of truth yes, yes. can gain a testimony and become converted. 
Consequently, nice. scientists the world over are looking pretty good. <laughs> or this is just proof that science is another liberal cabal uh, intended to deceive the children. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Because oh, they're seeking, they're seeking worldly truths, not spiritual truths. <sighs> men. Yeah. Now he was totally down with the Book of Mormon in this one. For any, uh, for any, he talked about Peter, but segued into the Book of Mormon pretty mm -hmm. heavily. He gets second place for the lame analogy with the <laughs> ten virgins thing. Oh gosh. He he wrestles his analogies. I yeah. <clears throat> wrestles them like Mike Tannehill tells me I wrestled the the scriptures. <laughs> Did he do more with it than normal? It just that? was like, I just want you to imagine that this is what the lamp is, and this is what the oil is, just because that serves my talk. And Letty right. and I just looked at each other and said, you can make any analogy for anything, and because analogies are so delicious to our brain cells, yeah. they feel good. But, but yeah, analogies are frequently used very poorly. I love analogies. Totally. Maybe Matt needs to give me um, a lesson in why that's a bad thing. But I, I think analogies <laughs> properly employed are incredibly effective. Well, it, it's, well, analogies are effective when you don't give them specific, like, this is what it means. I'm beating you over the head with it. This is what we deal with professionally all the time. You know, clients want a video to say exactly what they want it to say, but you don't learn things well that way. That way. You learn things by letting them just come in and waft in and, and find the truth yourself. But Bednar is not into that. Bednar <laughs> wants the truth to be spoon fed into your mouth on a holy temple spoon. <laughs> or poured in through a lamp. Yeah, he wants to pour it down your throat via lamp. To Bednar's credit or detriment or whatever, to me I took this as detriment, I had heard that interpretation of the uh, Ten Virgins uh, growing up in LDS wards. And so to me, I heard this and I thought, this guy thinks he's being profound. Like my Sunday school teacher gave this to me when I was 17, you know? Yeah. You are so lost. But I just, the whole idea is so weird to me that there's like at the end when he's using the, his hand motions, like one, step one, step two, like a testimony to me and faith to me is completely, you can't get there via pattern but he kept saying this is the formula this is a pattern like it it works it's ridiculous yeah i had four different lists from him that yeah, i wrote down he might have this. had more than that yeah i wrote do the checklist be converted and then i kept drawing arrows back up to that <laughs> do this do this do, I, this do this i honestly couldn't tell the difference between the different checklists in terms of their functional uh use and so i i didn't know if he like stapled several talks together or <laughs> <laughs> his talk is one big list and that's going to be his villain name like something with lists he's like the list man i don't know i think he's but like it, live on as the pickle but, but oh yeah definitely oh. the pickle <clears throat> anyway pickle analogy but he had the wonderful line where it says i mean he he blatantly said people who lose their faith their faith wasn't strong enough to withstand the yeah. it's all a fight and he, you lose the fight if you don't and he talked about loyalty. It feels very much to him like loyalty is more important than truth. Like you just stay strong. Staying strong matters more than anything else. It doesn't matter if it's to truth or not. It's just being strong. Well, that's an important thing, you know, that, and I think this gets talked about. It, 
the importance of knowing that the church is true as opposed to the importance of knowing if the church is true. Right. And, right. Uh, and that, that is not a question. The, uh, knowing the question of knowing if the church is true is not general conference material. Right. 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 But I think to him, it really doesn't matter. It's, I've decided it's true. I'm going to hang on to it. That is very valuable. That has value. Hanging on to finding value in something and just hanging on to it is makes no sense to me. But to him, that's really honorable. So I'm going to briefly defend him and say that the fact that it makes no sense to you is not, I, I, I for me, it doesn't make any sense either. But there are plenty of people for whom oh. that does make sense. Oh, totally. Like I think, oh, like totally. I, I would say that in his defense. That no, totally. Okay. Yeah, those people and love religion too. I mean, it's a great thing because it isn't, you know, super. There's good things in it, so it seems to be a good thing to hang on to. But yeah, yeah. no, definitely. All right. Well, that's the meat of the conference. Then we got to uh, then we got to the prophet. To wrap things up. Yeah, that's always the wrap-up talk. I mean, there's... Yeah, that's true. You have felt the spirit. I know it. Yeah. Because I, I just felt turned it, 85. So felt it. It's fun. I'm grateful. I like how he thanked us. He thanked any of us who participated or helped in any way. And I thought, surely we qualify. Yeah, I do. Actually, I he gave us a shout-out if you guys didn't notice that. He said there's been unprecedented coverage of the conference. And <laughs> this is the first time that Mormon Expositor has done a conference recap. Of course, Expression has done it before. And so I was so grateful. I was grateful for the uh, for the shout-out mm -hmm. for our participation yeah. and that we were helping out. We're, we're making it palatable for the apostates. We're fighting the good fight. Yeah, there's yeah, that's good. there are thousands but, and thousands of apostates watching ten hours of conference. Damn it! So but it, I did like how I did like how he said, "Don't be judgmental of each other." Yeah, and I am hoping you know I, I the thought struck me that that's what everyone's going to say to some other to the other person. Like, don't don't judge me. Judge me. But it, that's yeah, that's easier to to do than to just say, "Oh, I shouldn't judge other people. They're gonna judge me, but I'll just not judge them." I mean, it's a good message. It's a nice thing to remember when there's such animosity about, you know, belief and non-belief. It's a, it's a good little message to be reminded. I noticed um, that he went to some effort to talk about, well, how perilous our times yeah, are. Yeah, he had to mention that. You know, it was, it was, it was this delightful uh, contradiction sort of within, you know, uh, yeah. you know, be of good cheer. Everything's going to be wonderful. But of course, we live in perilous times. <laughs> That's standard script. That's standard Christian messaging, though, from the beginning, isn't it? I guess that's true. It's yeah, just, totally. Like standard prophetic script. Certainly yeah. standard messaging of Book of like the Book of Mormon. That is, like Lehi wakes up from the dream and says, "I just saw that everything's totally going to shit, but I'm so happy." <laughs> so because I get to escape it. Yeah, you know. So, um, so yeah, that's it. We've had, uh, we've been, we've been fed, we've been uplifted, we've been vilified. We've gathered from afar and shared our spirits. Yeah. So, you know, we, uh, we're ready to, to go do the work of, uh, continuing to talk about and obsess over Mormonosity for the next six months until we can do this again. Woo. Awesome. Good time. Thanks, Greg. Thank you for your help. Join us yeah, on the website for discussion 
and uh, we'll see you next time.